from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is Chip Lutz, um, your host, and today I get to talk to Andrew Tarvin. Yeah. Uh, Andrew's he's presented several times for AATH. I've seen him other places, you know, speak as well. You know, quite possibly one of the funniest speakers I've ever I've li- ever listened to. It's hard to keep my attention for uh, two minutes, let alone an hour. But he always would you know keep me completely glued the entire time, just because his content was so good and he was so funny in the way that he delivered it. So welcome to Laughbox, my friends. Excellent. Well, thank you, Chip. I appreciate that uh, introduction. Hopefully, we can have a little bit of humor on this uh, podcast as well. No, we're just going to keep it completely serious. Uh, yeah. No humor whatsoever. <laughs> so, uh, if you could share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, who I am, what I do. So, what I do is I teach people how to use humor to be more effective. Uh, and, and why I do that comes from uh, who I am. And probably the most important thing to know about me is that I am a nerd. Uh, and if you're wondering what type of nerd, the answer is yes. And all of them, computer science, math, sci-fi, Dungeons & Dragons, Star Wars, Star Trek, Starbucks, all of them. Uh, but uh, most specifically, I'm an engineer. Uh, as a kid, I used to like to take things apart and put them back together. Again, things like clocks and radios and my parents' marriage. And... Uh, as an engineer, I've always been obsessed with efficiency, and uh, I realized, you know, as I, I went to Ohio State, got a degree in computer science engineering, went to, uh, started working at Procter & Gamble after I graduated as an IT project manager, and I started to realize that there was a difference between being efficient and being effective, and that uh, you couldn't be efficient with humans, because they have emotions and feelings and all that kind of stuff, and uh, didn't necessarily have the skill set to... Uh, interact with humans more effectively, but uh, luckily for me in college, I started doing improv and stand-up, and over time, I realized that the uh, same skills that you need to be effective as an improviser are the same skills you need to be effective with other human beings, and so I started to explore that intersection of improv and business and humor in the workplace and happiness and productivity, and uh, from some of the research some great other uh, AATH members had done and all this other stuff, started to realize that it wasn't just me that was finding this benefit. And so as an engineer, I locked on to what was effective, and that was humor. And so I um, started to kind of teach it internally at PNG, proclaim myself the corporate humorist of Procter & Gamble, and kind of <laughs> blogged about it, wrote about it. Um, then I realized if it was being effective at PNG, other people might like it. So I started my uh, company, Humor That Works, which is a consultancy all geared towards teaching people how to use humor. Um, started that in 2009, left PNG in 2012, and been doing it full-time ever since. That's cool. Um, I, I like that you made up your own title, a title at PNG that you're f- the official humorist of uh, Procter & Gamble. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. I mean, it was crazy. It was it was just one of those things that, you know, I was I was a, a recent hire and I didn't know any better. And I kind of assumed someone eventually would stop me, like someone from HR or legal would come down and be like, hey, you can't just make up your own job title. But no one ever did. People just started referring to me as a corporate humorist. I'd like go to an event and people would like see my name and they're like, wait, you're that, you're that corporate humor guy. You made that poem out of all the billion dollar brands that we have or you led that improv thing at this, you know, conference that we had, you know? So it was like, it was a great way to get, you know, internal recognition. And for me, it, it was kind of 
you know, uh, I didn't necessarily know it was going to happen, but it led to my passion of uh, not only getting to help people laugh, right? The comedian in me wants to make people laugh, but then even cooler than that to me is helping other people learn how to, to do that, how to use that comedy for not just to make people laugh, but to get better results. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, because I sat through your sessions on, you know, harvesting humor from your, from your regular life. You didn't call it that, but that's the way I kind of look at it is, you know, harvesting that humor, mm -hmm. curating, curating the comedy anyway. But uh, before we got into that, I know that here a couple of years ago, you took a big trip. You didn't, you hit like all 50 States, you know, with your brother, you guys went on a big road trip. Yeah, so uh, I, uh, in 2014, I was traveling a lot, and I decided, uh, why not just travel indefinitely? So I put all my stuff in uh, storage, lived out of two bags, and lived as a, a nomad. And uh, over the course of uh, 18 months, I went to all 50 states, 14 countries, and three continents. What was – there had to have been – so many fun things that happen. Well, one, it's just fun to travel, but two, you know, what an awesome way to experience life. Just, you know, throwing everything in storage and hitting the road and going out and meeting people. There had to have been a, like a lot of humorous things that happened during the course of your trip. Oh yeah. I mean, it was it, to the point that I just, you know, I'm wrapping up um, a book about the thing, the whole topic. It's going to be out in um, a month of, you know, basically 50 stories from, um, the 50 states because that's what I recognize is that like one not only was crazy like fun things happening but I also realized that like you know as I traveled that I was finding connections through comedy right helping to make people laugh was how I started to meet people and so like I did um, my goal was to speak or perform in all 50 states and so I was able to accomplish that and um, uh, Philadelphia was the AATH conference I you know that's uh, how I captured that uh, uh, captured Pennsylvania during that time frame, but uh, I also did a music open mic in Pringle, South Dakota, and if you've never heard of Pringle, it is a population population of 112 people. It's about 45 minutes south of Mount Rushmore. Uh, it was the only kind of performance thing that I could find the day that I was going to be in South Dakota, and right. so we show up. My brother and I is with me because he came for like he I think he did like 15 or 20 of the states with me, just kind of on a, um, by happenstance. And, uh, so we show up and we pull up and it's a biker bar. Nice. It's like out front, there's a bunch of Harleys and stuff like that. One regular bicycle and then a bunch of Harleys, uh, and a guy on the, the front porch kind of sitting in a rocking chair with a gun just sitting on his knee. Shut and up. He wasn't my sitting brother there and I were just, <laughs> yeah, there's a gun. I mean, like in South Dakota, he's a, you know, like that's just a thing you have. Um, and, uh, so my brother, like, what have we gotten into? But, you know, I really, you know, as an engineer, I needed the checklist. I was like, I need, I need to be able to say I've performed in South Dakota. Uh, and so we go in and, and everyone is as nice as can be. I mean, the, the, from the bartender at top, she gave us a little bit of sass, but like in a fun, playful way. And then, uh, the guy who is hosting the, the open mic comes in and he turns out he's a former narcotics officer from Florida and happens to be incredible playing guitar. And there's this like legitimate cowboy, like, like not just cowboy boots, cowboy hats, but like actually like wrangles cows on horses uh -huh. type thing with this like beautiful handlebar mustache. And he was like originally from Michigan. So he talked about Ohio versus Michigan and like the college football rivalry and all that stuff. And then I did my performance and a woman came up to me afterwards, and part of the, one of the things that I was doing at the time was this uh, 
uh, cliche meaning of life, which I did at the end of the DATH presentation, which is 100 cliches in four minutes exploring the meaning of life in kind of a fun, playful way. Yeah. And so uh, I did that, and the woman came up to me afterwards, and she's like, I just want to let you know that I'm your biggest fan. Right? I'm your new biggest fan. I love what you did. I want to learn more. And it's like she lived in Pringle, South Dakota, a place I never knew existed. But like going there and I was able to connect to this comedy and great, you know, capture great stories. And this is all, you know, I did that all in all the places that I went. So absolutely wonderful experience. A lot of cool things happening, but a lot of kind of comedy, both in terms of structured comedy that I created, but also just kind of things that happened. That is so interesting. I have never heard of Pringle, South Dakota, but it makes me want to go there. But it's just funny yeah, that you, you said that there's all motorcycles and one bicycle because the one bicycle probably belonged to the guy that lost his license from a DUI. Mm -hmm. so that's what I always that's what I always think when I see a guy that's like you know 50s riding a 20-inch 20, 20 bicycle in the middle of the day. He's just got a six pack underneath his mm -hmm. arm. You know, I always think, mm, yeah. He's had a rough road, but yeah. he's, he's, he's yeah. still maintaining. He's still committed to the cause. He's still drinking. God bless him. So, yeah, for <laughs> sure. So in finding humor in everyday life, because I, I know for me, I'm always interested in the process of you know, harvesting humor or, or you know, looking for the funny. And something's just, for me, you know, being the youngest of six kids in, that, in my household, you had to be funny or get the crap beat out of you. That's just the way it was. And usually it was kind of both. And so for me, a lot of things just come you know, naturally. And I know they come natural for you, for you too, but you actually have more of a process of going through and, and finding comedy. And I've sat through your sessions and I'm just fascinated by, you know, your, your process. Can, you know, we talk about that a little bit. Are you cool with that? Mm hmm all right. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would say that um, for me, it didn't always come naturally. Like, you know, I, I think that um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that humor is a skill, which means it can be learned. And I, and I believe that because I am someone who has had to learn how to use humor. Because I've done, you know, over a thousand shows as a stand-up comedian, improviser, spoken word, storyteller, that kind of stuff. But uh, recently I went to my high school reunion, people found out I did comedy and they said, but you're not funny. <laughs> like growing up, I was never the life of the party of the class clown type person. I was like, you know, always that more serious student and always into academia and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was been quiet because I'm an introvert. Um, I'm Myers-Briggs is INTJ. And so, um, you know, for me, it was something that I learned. And now it's become, you know, kind of second nature. Anything that you do enough, I think it starts to like become second nature. And what I say is it, it's not that funny things happen to funny people is that funny people see the world in a funny way. And so it's about kind of tweaking and, and building out that skill of observation and point of view and perspective. And once you have that, it, that's when it starts to feel more natural. But there are things that you can do to kind of get to that level of natural, but things that you can practice. Just like, you know, when you first learn a language, it's not, it doesn't feel natural at all. But you do exercises and you do repetitions of it and you use it and you practice it, then it becomes to the point that you like, you know, you're fluent in the language, you dream in that language, it seems natural to you now, but there's a lot of work that maybe got you there. So instead of like Rosetta Stone, what we're going to be talking about is Tarvin Stone. Yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah, I might have to create Tarvin, Tar, Tarvetta, Tarvetta, Tarvetta Stone. Tarvetta Stone, there we go. <laughs> So I like the, uh, that's interesting concept that it is a kind of a, a language. So in curating that, what, 
But what are some of the skills that that work, or some of the processes that work for people, or that you share with people to yeah. do that? Because I've sat through, but I, like I said, it's fascinating to me to you know to learn more. Yeah. So to me, I think there's kind of three three main things that a humorist does, right? Uh, a humorist first they share their point of view, their perspective. What what makes us laugh is kind of how we see how we hear about someone else in the way that they see the world. And so perspective is really important. And you see this in stand-up comedy all the time, right? Like Chris Rock, his perspective, his point of view is very different than Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. It's very different than Ellen DeGeneres or Tay Nataro or, um, you know, all these different comedians. And you see they kind of have their own take on the world. And so a lot of what we do in, in humor is, you know, it's, it's sharing your perspective out. It's, it's saying, you know, what do you find interesting? Sharing your sense of humor of what makes you laugh or what you, you know, this thing that you look at and you go, huh, that's interesting. So a lot of times humor just starts with that, huh. And from there, you can then explore and heighten. So that's step number two is what comedians do is they don't just say, they just don't take something at face value and like, okay, there you go. They say, okay, if this is true, what else is true, right? From improvisation, they yes and it. And this is why, you know, I think a big difference between improvisers and comedians and people who don't do it in conversation is someone will say something funny in a normal conversation. People will just kind of laugh and then it will stop there. If you're with a bunch of improvisers, each improviser will then kind of yes and that and it'll take one idea and it'll blow it out to a bunch of different things. And like, you know, so you're creating a little bit more comedy. Sometimes it goes a little bit too far. Sometimes being with improvisers can be a little bit like, all right, I just want to be quiet right now. That's what uh, I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask is that when you're exploring and heightening uh, the thing, have you ever taken it too far where you've taken it past the bounds that it really should go? Yeah. And I mean, certainly it can happen. It can pass the bounds of, um, you know, whether or not it's funny or not, you know, because sometimes in comedy, there's the rule of three and typically, you know, things are funnier in threes, but also the idea that if you do things multiple times, then it starts to kind of get like, because part of humor is surprise, right? Is that we, we get surprised. And so if you try to hit the same joke over and over and over again, it becomes um, kind of trite, becomes kind of boring. Like, yeah, we get it, right? There's, you know, sometimes if people are like that one joke, that person is, it's interesting being the comedian in an office setting, you know, it changes how people interact with you. And so, you know, there, there's one guy at PNG and it's like, I'm always supportive. I want to like help people grow, but he would be like, he made one joke in one meeting. And then for like the next six months would remind me of that joke that he made in that meeting. And it's like, great job of that joke in that meeting, but like, let's do more of that. Let's get more new jokes out there and, and build your skill of humor as opposed to referencing the one time that you used it correctly. Let's build a skill so that you're using it correctly every single day. <laughs> That's so um, funny. Like he's like, "Hey, remember that time I told that joke, Drew? Wasn't that hilarious?" <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's still, let's still laugh about it. And there's you know there's a value to like kind of reminiscing and calling back, but uh, also in creating something uh, something new. So uh, yeah, so there's there's that uh, you know the possibility that you go too far. The other thing is kind of keeping in mind you know, using positive and inclusive humor, right? I, I try to use humor, you know, it's like humor is, um, is a tool, which means it can be good used for good. It can also be used for bad. And so what I, you know, teach is about using it for positive positivity, inclusivity, because that's going to get you further in the workplace and it's going to make the world, you know, the world a little bit more of a positive place. So, so keeping those things in mind, you know, gives you a little bit of parameters. And then the last step is the last thing that comedians do is, 
they practice, they perform, they repeat. They get reps of doing it because the reality is that humor is subjective. And the only way to know if something is funny is to say it and see if people laugh. And so by tweaking it, by making changes in what works in one audience might not work in another, and just the repetition, because a lot of times people are like nervous, right? And confidence is part of sharing it. And the way that you become confident at something is you just do it a bunch. Right. If you remember when you first got up and start, started learning to walk, you didn't walk confidently right away. You got more confident because you kept getting up, you fell down, you got back up, you kept on going, and then now you don't even think about it. You can confidently walk without thinking about it. And it's, you know, humor is a skill, and so it's the same thing with humor. Interesting. Because I, I did actually start walking confidently right away. It was, it was amazing how <laughs> I did that, but it was mm-hmm. – <laughs> It was an anomaly for for everyone around. But so uh, looking at this, uh, walking through the whole process, is there something that you've been kind of like toying with, you know, uh, something you've been working on lately that we can kind of go through together? You can say this is like, you know, the thing that I thought of and how I, you know, heightened it a little bit. And this is, you know, how I would deliver it just as an example for people to understand. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, uh, you know, for me, I'm because I know that the the skill comes from repetition is I, I try to tweet every single day. Uh, and a lot of times they're puns or wordplay things that, um, you know, I want to explore. And so the other thing that, you know, kind of going back to that sharing point of view. So for me, I, I give, you know, when I do the training for each of those steps, I talk about what a humorist does for that. So for sharing your point of view, one of the big kind of starting steps for uh, a comedian is to have a humor notebook, whether it's physical or digital, but have a place that you go and when you're walking around the world and you see something that makes you go, huh, that's interesting, write it down, right? right? Put it in a notebook and then that way you can explore. So for example, um, it took me, and, I, and I've shared this um, example before, but it's a good one to kind of illustrate it. It's like it took me going to the state of Florida to realize that the rapper Flo Rida got his name from his home state of Florida and he put a space in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And that blew my mind when I saw that I was, I was uh, in um, Florida with family. And so like that blew my, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to write that down. I want to play with that. That made me go, huh? Maybe like, and so I could just say, Oh, that's the case. Right. But then if I take the next step of explore and heighten, then I can say, okay, What's a way to explore and heighten that? I could say, you know, what other things does he do that with? Or the direction that I went was like, what if other people did that? Right. What if other people took state names and just put a space in it? So, like, you could have um, a Hispanic travel agency in Dover called De La Ware. Or you or could a, have a, a female internet detective in Mississippi named that goes by Mrs. ITPI. Nice. Or a speaker like me from Illinois. Right. Okay, yeah, it's not, yeah, that's not exactly. funny. <laughs> no, but it's so, so that's what you do is you explore and heighten it. And then the practice and repetition comes from sharing it like, you know, either in stand-up or doing it in a set or maybe even casually in conversation. Like, I think you can use conversation to test things. If you say something in real life and you get people to laugh, it, you know, that should be a kind of a signal in your brain to say, oh, that's interesting. What made them laugh? Maybe I can explore that. Maybe I can heighten it a little bit, like either in the moment or a little bit later and see what happens. Like I like Illinois, right? Especially the, the noise piece. But so then you just try these different things. You're practicing it. And then eventually, so I settle on those, you know, those two examples of De La Ware and Mrs. Um, Mrs. IPPI. 
but you explore them over time and build, and that's that's the process, right? It's just going through those steps, and you can do that in different ways. So the other thing that I teach is, in addition to those kind of three steps, there's also general tools that uh, comedians use across the various types of um, performance spectrums or you know mediums, and um, there are diff different shortcuts. Some people use associations to create interesting metaphors, or you might use a little bit of incongruity just to get people to pay attention. And so the next step then is after you have those kind of three basic skills and practice those a little bit, you can then take them and kind of structure them into a little bit more of um, a format or a tool, and that gives you an opportunity. It gives you the next steps to practice and, and play with things. Mm -hmm. If I stop and think about it, uh, looking at the whole practice and seeing what people laugh, that, if I think of something funny, I guess I, I've never sat back and dissected the process, but the process would be very much like this, is that I'll think of something kind of funny, and then I'll start sharing that story with other people and finding out what parts of it are you know funny what doesn't work and then before i'll ever look or even think about sharing it from the platform i'll you know then i'll look at how i can elongate a little bit how can i you know draw that out a little bit more to make it um, a, a better build up to the other parts of the story so that makes sense so i guess i have you know thinking about it i don't have a real process but it, it's very much like this you know the process you're explaining because i think about well just the yeah. funny things that come to mind i remember sitting through your session uh, in uh, where were we here a couple months ago Orlando we were in Orlando and I heard you speak okay. you know, we were talking you were you were sharing some of these different things and somebody brought up about you know laughter being the best medicine and I started thinking well you know it, the whole you know statistics thing that is seven out of you know seven out of ten doctors agree that laughter is the best medicine but the other three are assholes and, and so that's what mm -hmm. the thing that I thought of when I was in there that you spurred that thought for me and I was like oh thanks Drew <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is great, right? You, and I and yeah, it's like you know, I had no. That's that's what's so great is because that's your your perspective, your point of view. At no point in my presentation was I like, all right, make a joke out of seven out of ten, or make a joke about laughter as, as the best medicine. What it means is you're sitting there experiencing the world, and your point of view, your perspective came up, and that's what became interesting. That's what kind of triggered the. Oh, okay. Based on kind of what you're saying, this is what you know a direction that I can go, and that's you know that's what it is. It's sharing those thoughts a little bit more um, with people and getting them out there. And I think that's a big piece to you know. It sometimes it's just the permission. And what's interesting about my programs is that people like me, the introverts that never thought they were funny, tend to like it because they're like, oh, this gives me a structure. This gives me a thing that I can go and do. And then people who are more kind of naturally funny, who grew up being funny and all that kind of stuff like you, they'll come up to me afterwards and be like, thank you. I, I now understand why I'm getting laughter, right? I, I never, you know, I've always been a, a pretty funny presenter, but I never knew why. And this helps me understand why people are laughing at certain points, which I think is good because then it gives you a little bit more clarity to, to learn to add more laughter if you want or to tweak it in the way that you want. So it just gives you a little bit of awareness of, why that laughter is coming into it or how your process, maybe you didn't have a structure, you know, you're not an engineer like me and wrote it down in steps, but you're like, oh yeah, I think of something and I think of it, explore it in my head and then I practice it in front of people. That's what I use stand-up for is I use stand-up now to go and practice material that I'm going to do for my large keynotes for corporations and stuff like that because I want to make sure that I know it's going to work. That's that's a good plan because nothing's worse than telling something that you think is funny from the platform and then nobody laughs you're all alone, <laughs> mm -hmm. you're completely yeah. alone, like staying there naked and afraid. Uh, it reminds yeah. me. There are ways you can kind of mitigate that. 
<laughs> I uh, was listening to an interview with Woody Allen. Uh, Larry Wilde did some interviews with uh, comedians throughout the years, and I, I was listening to his interview, and in the interview, he was talking about, you know, how, what his process was where, you know, and he was talking about how, you know, basically the same type of thing where, you know, he was moving, he had, there was a piano in the elevator and then he started asking himself, you know, the, the questions going all the way back. Well, why is this like this? Why is this like that? And then, you know, I was tying that to what you were saying as far as exploring and hiding, you know, and that, you know, he'll, he'll tie, he would tie a story all the way back to like when he was a kid until the buildup of how that, you know, for example, that piano got in the elevator and the funny things that happened along the way. And so, you know, I can see where it, it's a, a long process. What are some of the things that you do to help? Cause I know for me, sometimes I get stuck in my own head on thinking of going, exploring and heightening. I, I just get stuck in my head if I'm trying to uh, play with it and uh, I might be a little too linear. What do you do to, to get out of that rut? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things you can do. And Woody Allen's a great example of someone who does that. Like if you think to, you know, pretty, um, I don't know if it's well-known or not, but his, his moose bit with the Berkowitzes of, you know, him going out hunting, shooting a moose, uh, it not dying, it, you're him strapping it to the hood of his car, him realizing it's not dead, it waking up in his car, him taking it to a costume party, it being, you know, a big hit at the party, them doing a, um, a costume contest, the moose coming in second to the Berkowitzes who are dressed as a moose, him deciding to leave with the moose, but it's actually the burger. Like it's, it's a long story and it's hilarious. It's amazing. I, I always just join the plot points of it, but that's all, if this is true, what else is true? And it's just kind of thinking about the possibilities. So if, you know, if, you know, one of my favorite bits is Eddie Izzard's bit on the Death Star canteen. Um, and basically the premise of the, the joke is he's like, all right, if it is true that Star Wars exists, let's say Star Wars exists and let's pretend like that world is true. And if it is true that there's a Death Star, uh, like, in this world, and if it is true that people live on the Death Star, then it must be true that they have a cafeteria, right? Because people need to eat, and that's just his perspective, right? If people are there, they need to eat. So if it is true that there's a Death Star and there's a cafeteria on the, the Death Star, it is possible, maybe it's true that Darth Vader has been to that cafeteria. Right. And so then the Death Star canteen is just, what would it be like? So the premise is just Darth Vader at the cafeteria. He's waiting in line for food. What's that interaction like? And it's just this kind of play, and it's just it's hysterical. It's one of my favorite bits, and it all starts with this idea of this is true, what else is true. And so as you're exploring an idea, when you find a premise that you're like, oh, that's interesting. I want to I find it, I'll explore it a little bit more. It's just being, playing out different possibilities and different roles. So it could just be like, all right, what else could happen? Um, but then it goes back to kind of those structures that I was talking about. You might see a premise and be like, okay, so maybe I want to make a story out of this. So if I'm going to make a story out of this idea, what can I do next? Or you might be like, I want to, I want to turn this into a metaphor, right? What is, you know, something similar to this idea? Um, what's an observation that I've had and how can I make that, you know, related to something else that happens every single day? Um, or even what's my take on it? Like Mitch Hedberg's great joke on, uh, you know, an escalator can never be broken. It can only become stairs, right? That's a great observation. It and is. so then he continues the joke a little bit further, and he's like, uh, you should never see an escalator out of order sign. It should always be escalator temporar temporarily stairs, sorry for the convenience, right? And so that's a great exploration, exploring of this observation that he has and more of a structured kind of joke. 
Mm-hmm. You can do that. Or you might say, like, you know, some people aren't very good storytellers. Maybe they're not good joke tellers, but they're great artists. So then you might turn in something into, you know, more of a cartoon and explore it different ways. So there's these different structures. And so what I teach as we, you know, kind of go through the workshop is get people to think about an interesting premise or an idea, and then we explore through these different structures. And because each structure, I have different exercises that you can do. So if you want to do a metaphor, right, a great way to do that is a 10 by 10 list of, you know, pick, uh, you know, one subject, something maybe that you need to train or something like that, because the context that I use a lot of this is in the workplace. So pick a subject that you need to train and then list 10 things out about that thing. So like say, you know, I did this when I was a project manager, like 10 things about project management. Well, there's like the project initiation, there's a project sponsor, there are resources, there's time limits, there's a budget, all that kind of stuff. And then pick something else that's more interesting that you want to relate it to a passion of yours. Or at the time, I picked a couple of friends were getting married, so I picked wedding. And so I was like, all right, let me list 10 things about a wedding. There's the engagement. There's um, uh, the bride and groom. There's the family of the bride. There's the budget, that kind of stuff. And so then when you have those two lists, you can start to look at what interesting connections you see. So it's like, oh, so like, you know, the engagement is kind of like a project initiation. Right. That's how, you know, things work. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the project sponsors is kind of like the parents because they, you know, they're stakeholders in the relationship, but they're not actually doing anything for the relationship. But it's kind of, you know, they want it to be successful and then kind of ending in the joke of that both of them fail at a rate of about 50 percent of projects and marriages. Right. And you can create this kind of (laughs) metaphor for it. And so I I did that in a presentation. I had to train some interns on project management. And so I use this as a way. And it's just now. Oh, the, you know, it's helping people remember it longer because it's not just, oh, what are the steps of project management? You can be like, oh, well, let me just think about a wedding. And I know about a wedding already, so I just need to remember the mapping to it. And so, there's, you know, you might go through an exploration that way. You might do it uh, as an incongruity or, or, you know, X, Y, or Z. So there's exercise that you can do then to have a little bit more structure. And that's not, you know, it's not to say that it's absolutely needed to create comedy. For me, it's just giving people different tools that they can try so that they're exploring. And as you do that, you get practice and reps of it. You might never return to the exercises, but it got you started. It helps you to build up the skill naturally, and then you can kind of do it. The other, the other cool thing is with practice and repetition, it becomes something that you can do in the moment that you don't necessarily have to, you know, consciously think through all these steps. It just right. kind of happens. Interesting. I, uh, I'll, I'm going to try that on uh, the the whole thing. Cause I know that you, you talked about it in Orlando, but I hadn't um, put it into play yet. So I will um, work on that with something that I'm working on. I like that. Um, what are some other things people can do to curate a little more comedy, you know, into you know, their work or just their life? Yeah, I think that, you know, it all comes down to the, the starting point for all of this is just like any type of change or any type of, you know, habit or anything like that. It's choice but it comes down to making the choice to want to do it. Cause I'm a firm believer that, you know, your job satisfaction is 100% your responsibility, right. right? It's not the responsibility of anyone else to help you enjoy your job. And so that means you have to own it. And so sometimes I talk with people that are like, ah, oh, my workplace is too serious for humor or I don't think people would want it. And so, you know, I talk about you know, there's some different objections that people have about it. Like, ah, I don't think so because like if humor isn't the norm, then you start to feel like it's unwelcome. And so that's what a lot of people assume that PNG is considered a little bit more of a conservative organization. Right. Um, but I, I, no one ever told me to use humor, but no one ever stopped me either. Right. Right. I just started doing it and people kind of like, 
were attracted to, I'd say first, like actually go out and try it. Because 98% of CEOs prefer job candidates with a sense of humor, right? People want it. And so trying it. But even if you work for a place where you're like, I don't feel comfortable yet, or I'm not quite ready to, or I just don't think that I can do it, no one can control how you think, right? No one can con prevent you from listening to a comedy podcast on your way home from work so that you show up more present for your family when you get there, you relieve some stress. Right. Uh, no one, one of the things that I do is like when I'm going through emails, if I start to get bored, I start to read each of the different emails in a different accent in my head. And like, no one can stop you from doing that. No one can come up and be like, hey, you're reading emails in an accent in your head. Stop it, right? So it comes down to first making the choice. And then from there, I think the other thing is that you know, you don't have to necessarily be the creator of humor to use it. You can be the shepherd of humor, the, um, you know, the, the conduit of humor. You can find funny videos and share those out with your team. You can, you know, um, uh, share a funny TED talk that you happen to watch on the scale of humor given by a guy named Andrew Charvin at uh, TEDxTamu uh, and be like, oh, this was really funny, and then share that to their team so that you get a bunch of views on it, right? You can do things like that or funny right. videos or you can add quotations or that kind of thing. You want to make sure that you give proper credit and you don't violate any copyright rules, but you can leverage all of this great comedy that other people are creating. There's a service called uh, uh, Comedy Wire, which basically you can go and their goal is to become the writer's room for the world. And so you can go and, and for like, you know, less than a hundred bucks, you can give them a topic that you want to explore. Maybe it's for a presentation that you're giving or you just want to see different takes on it. You put it in, you create this brief, and within like 15 minutes, you'll get back different jokes. So they basically send out, hey, this request to, I think they have nearly 10,000 comedians that like really? to kind of jump in and give their ideas. I think it's like 8,500 right now, but it's continuing to grow. And within 15 minutes, they have people just sitting there and they're giving ideas, and then you pick the one that you like, and like uh, that payment goes to, they get a portion of it and stuff. So for comedians, it's great. It's a great way for them to, practice their skill of having new prompts to create humor and they get some um, compensation out of that. And then for individuals, it's great because now you've gotten, you know, a couple of different ideas of how you can explore humor in a topic. And so again, there's, there's other services like funny biz, which can help you specifically do that for a speech and like can kind of do some ghost writing punch up stuff. I do a little bit of coaching on those types of things. So if you want to use humor and don't have, you know, the skill to start, one, just do it, but two, there are resources out there. And basically to say, no, there's plenty of resources out there. So if you're not using humor, you can't use the excuse of you don't know how because it's assuming you make the choice, there's plenty of resources to, to then build what's next. And if people don't know what to do, they can email me and I'll give them, you know, help them out and chat with them. Because that's, you know, that's what I'm doing with Humor That Works is my, my goal is to spread more joy to the world, more laughter. Uh, because it, hopefully it'll make it a better place, but it's also going to make it a more effective place. You're going to get better results, and we're going to have uh, more profitable companies and more engaged employees and all that kind of stuff. And so that's the goal of, of Humor That Works is building out these different ways that people can learn the skill of humor so that I'm not the only one laughing. Some, a friend of mine was recently asking me, like, why are you so passionate about what you do? And it's, it's not just getting people to laugh. I want to enable you the skill so that you get to make me laugh too. I like laughing. So if I improve your skill of using humor, it's going to make my, you know, uh, interactions with you even better. And so that's a big part of what I'm doing. So it's kind of self-serving. It is. Basically, it's a very <laughs> selfish thing to do. It's kind of, 
It's kind of like the thing where people are like, oh, why do you volunteer? Why do you give back? Uh, it's because I want to feel good about myself. I do it so that – and that's, re- that's partially how the corporate humor thing started at P&G was I was, to- I was so tired of sitting in meetings that sucked. Right. And so I'm like, we've got to do something about it. Not that many people were. So I was like, well, if I do something, if I help people to be a little bit more fun, then, you know, the four meetings that I'm in each day aren't going to be as terrible. Right. So, yes, definitely self-serving. I was just kidding on that. I know it's not self-serving. You really do have a mission. <laughs> I was just, my, my feeble attempt at is being funny as you. So if after, well, first, before I get to where people can contact with contact you i know that you're the pun master and that you tweet a lot any do you have a new one today uh yeah what did i just do i think i just did i post already today or no i haven't posted yet today uh but i think i'm gonna post i I, i'm just now i'm looking at the list right now you can give me a little bit of real-time feedback to see which one i'll give you three and you let me see you tell me which one you think should go up okay um all right. Uh, the hardest part of eating a gala apple is finding a tux to wear while eating it. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah maybe. Um, this one is silly. Whoa, do you see that pasta surfing? It's tubular. Better. I like that one too. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, one more. Um they start weddings with dearly beloved because two people are about to be loved. Number two. I don't even know if that one makes sense. Number two. All right. I like tubular. that. One. Well, I like I liked them all, but the, I like the uh, the tubular one because I'm an '80s guy. Yeah. So after today. Yeah. The it, real the real test is always to see what my grandmother would think. She comments on all my status updates. <laughs> Right, which is a great, great bit when you share that. Um, if after today people want to find you, where do they go? Uh, so they can find me at probably the best starting place is humorthatworks.com. That's where there's plenty of resources on how to use humor. There's, you know, blog posts on 101 ways to use it. There's the 30 benefits of humor backed by research, case studies, real-world examples. Contact information is there as well. Like, you know, I'm passionate about helping people learn humor so people can reach out if they have any questions or um, you know, concerns or thoughts or that kind of thing. Uh, if they want to get some of the um, uh, tweets that we're talking about, the puns, the silliness that the, I'm sharing, uh, they can follow me uh, at Drew Tarvin on Twitter. Awesome. I was going to ask that. Make sure that people had your Twitter handle. I know I follow you, uh, but I didn't know if uh, – make sure that we mentioned that. So, well, I appreciate you spending time with me today. I know that the people listening are going to get a lot from it, and hopefully they can bring a little more – comedy into their own lives and share it with other people, make other people laugh to uh, help support the overall Drew Tarvin mission. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, thanks for the, the listeners for listening. Oh, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Drew. We'll catch up with you later. Yep. Thank you. This is Laughbox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laughbox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review Laughbox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.